Welcome back to another episode of the Burning Veil Podcast. I'm your host, Gideon, and I have a special guest host with me today. Hello, everyone. I hope you remember me from the last time. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, we have Constance back with us. Uh, unfortunately, Chris is out. Um, hence, Constance is filling in. Um, Chris is having family time with relatives he hasn't seen in quite some time, I believe. So he's having a good time. And, uh, well, that's his fault, not mine. But we're going to make do. And so I had the wonderful thought of Constance. That that episode that we did together, our Oklahoma episode, actually re- did really, really well. That's actually nice to hear. It, it is. Um, our number one episode is our first episode still. Our second episode, that is our second best episode, is an episode I did with Jeremy from the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Um, and then our third best viewed, our third most played, is actually your episode that we did with you, Oklahoma. Wow, nice. Yeah, so we're, we're getting up there. Our fourth is, we don't have a fourth yet, so here we go. <laughs> Let's make this the fourth today. <laughs> yeah, right. Everything you touch turns to gold, I promise. Uh, I don't know if it turns to gold. It might turn to like a black, slimy, misty gunk. I, I, don't, I can't promise gold. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You don't have the Midas touch. You have the vampiric touch. Foul, yes. dirty creature of the dark. No, I'm kidding. I'm not a damn filthy creature! You're just of the dark. Yeah, creature of the dark. Yeah, yeah pretty <laughs> much, yeah. Okay, so the state that we picked for this week is South Carolina. So we're going to be doing Strange and Creepy South Carolina. As our special guest, I will let you go first, Constance. What's your first story you got for us? All right, so I have one that actually was really interesting to me because I'm into hellhounds, and this one seems almost like a hellhoundish type of story. So it's called the uh, Ghost Town of Gibson Hill. So um, the story has been spinning for... For decades in South Carolina, involves the ghost of a hound that chases people, cars, and anything it encounters on a five-mile section of old Buncombe Road as it runs through part of the Union County, or the Union yeah, County in South Carolina. Not to be confused with the old Pumpkin Road near Greenville, this particular old Buncombe Road runs near U.S. 176 and the unincorporated community of Keys Cross in Union County. It is here that a short highway that travel that travels the summer national forest feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. It is here that the ghost town of Gibson Hill is said to stalk its prey, although there's no reports of it ever having caught anyone. Now the story goes that the hound belonged to a traveling man who passed through the area and was accused of stealing. And of course, the guy accounted for stealing was basically innocent 
yeah, was given a sketchy trial and hung near a cemetery church on this highway. It's said that he is buried near, but not in the cemetery proper. After hanging in, hanging in burial, his friend and traveling companion, the dog, is to, to said to have starved to death while waiting dotingly for his by his grave for his master. The hound's disappointment and anger is said to drive his rage and fuel his fury as he chases people down this cross path. Now, the thing with this story was it reminded me too much of the old style stories of like crossroad demons and making deals and later on having what is called hellhounds come and collect your soul. So this one, I don't know, it was just real interesting to me. It just reminded me of a hellhound. Yeah, another another part of the, the hellhound lore is what's called bargeists. Um, they're basically a, a, a similar type of creature that end up with, instead of being made out of a dark circumstance, um, old legends say that the first person or thing to be buried in a graveyard stands and protects the graveyard. So they, you would usually, when they would make a new church graveyard or a new boot hill or whatever, they would usually bury a dog. And that dog would become what's called a bargeist. That's, I think it's Slavic or Germanic folklore there. But this bargeist would protect a certain area around the, the graveyard from evil things, that kind of thing. And they would always do that first so that a person wasn't, their, they believe their soul would get trapped and, and be stuck here on this plane, the mortal world protecting the graveyard and so they didn't want to doom somebody to it they figured well there's nothing saying that animals go to heaven or go to hell or whatever so we're going to have an animal spirit be the one to protect so they did that mm -hmm. and it is what it is exactly. um i i've heard a lot of s stories of bargeists uh actually attacking people who are in who are you know going to a graveyard or whatever uh i actually had a story once upon a time i can't remember who wrote the story or if it was of a, a true story but um i know that at one point in time there was a story about somebody it was a goth couple going that went into a graveyard to go you know sneaky leak to go to go hook up uh, they slipped away from a party, and while they were there, they were actually, uh, I think it was a girlfriend that was goth or whatever, and she wanted to desecrate a grave because, you know, they're drunk, they're partying, they're doing their wild thing. And the, as she begun to desecrate the grave, a black dog attacked her. And she said that they claimed that it looked just like a shroud of mist in the shape of a dog. So, uh, that sounds more like a bargeist to me trying to protect the graveyard, but it, it seems pretty malicious to just be a bargeist. Well, and I've heard stories like that, too. There was one particular story that I heard on some television show on the Sci-Fi Channel 
that um i forget me and my mom was watching it a long time ago when i was like 16 but there was this group of kids who had gone out to the graveyard to party because apparently they thought the graveyard was the place to go and apparently while they were doing drugs and drinking and loud music booming throughout the graveyard um one of the guys had excused himself to go to the bathroom and he ended up pissing on one of the graves and two seconds later he had turned around and he seen these red eyes and what was connected to the shape of a dog he said it chased him for half a mile down the road before it disappeared wow that's a good distance That's a pretty good distance away. Oh, yeah. I mean, he said he hit the graveyard gates, tried to go for the car, and he realized he did, one of his friends had the key, and he just started darting down the country road. And he said he did not realize how fast or how far he was running. And he said suddenly when he uh, turned around to see if it was still behind him, it just suddenly was gone. So it, it chased him for a good portion of the road but then went back to where i guess it was meant to stay so right yeah i mean i i have heard a couple stories of bargeists being overprotective of uh like their master's grave i've heard that before um it's just kind of one of those things of hmm, maybe maybe not it all depends on what type of lore you're looking at that kind of thing so i've 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 heard quite a few things regarding that all right so i'm gonna jump into my first story okay my first story is called my first story is called the mccraven home or the mccraven house um Behind the wrought iron gates of 1445 Harrison Street in Vicksburg sits the notorious McRaven home. Since being built in the late 1700s, ownership of the home has changed several times. But once things has one thing has remained the same. It appears to be a magnet for paranormal activity. From unexplained occurrences to malevolent spirits, the McRaven home has definitely earned the title the most haunted town in South Carolina. The most haunted home. In 1797, McRaven was a simple two-story dwelling, consisting of a kitchen on the first floor, a bedroom, and a bedroom on the second. At that time... It belonged to a notorious criminal named Andrew Glass, who was known for robbing and murdering unsuspected travelers on the Natchez Trace. Since there was no stairs, the second floor was only accessible by a ladder. A ladder that was never left out because Glass feared that other criminals or the law could come and find him at any time. According to local legend, Glass returned home one night after being shot pulled up the ladder and had his wife finish him off so he wouldn't be hung. Glass was the first person supposedly to die in the McRaven home, but was definitely not the last. 
1836, the sheriff, the home began belonged to the sheriff, Stephen Howard, and his wife, Mary Elizabeth. The new owners closed in a balcony and added a set of stairs, a dining room, two, two side balconies, and an upstairs bedroom. Local records indicate that Mary Elizabeth died in the upstairs addition bedroom soon after giving birth to the couple's first and only son. McRaven's final renovations came in 1849 when John H. Bob from Philadelphia acquired the home at this time. A front entry area, a parlor, a flying swing staircase, upstairs bedroom, a dressing area were and a dressing area were added. Because of the portions of the McRaven house were constructed at different times, the exhibit varying architect the exhibit they exhibit if I could talk, I'm sorry. They exhibit varying architectural styles. The home has been referred to as a time capsule of the South. Three different styles of the home can be seen in the above photograph, moving from left to right, with the left being an original portion of the McRaven home. I took that as an excerpt from a website that I found about this because I found so many. They've got so many pictures and stuff on it. Um, I usually write my own stuff for these, but yeah. I just couldn't find anything on this home other than this one website. So I want to clear that. I'm not trying to plagiarize them. I'm just, this is all I could find. <laughs> um, in, let me see. During the siege of Vicksburg, the McRaven home was transformed into a makeshift hospital. According to that, to the local legends of the area, John H. Bob caught some Union soldiers tampering with his crops, became enraged, and threw a brick at one of them. Seeking revenge, the soldiers returned later that night and killed the man, making him the third person to die at the residence. At the time, McRaven was put up for sale in 1960. By the time it, the home was put up for sale in 1960, it had become so overgrown with weeds and vines that many residents were unaware of its existence, let alone its sale. But the new owners, the Bradleys, saw McRaven's potential, restoring the home and opening it for tours not long after the home was placed on the National Registry of Historic Places. In 1886, the home was purchased by William and Ellen Murray, the original, the only residents known to have raised children in the McRaven house. The last, Mur the last Murray family member to reside in the home were two spinster sisters, Ella and Annie. In, 1880, in 1984, Mr. Leyland French purchased the McRaven home, making him the first to reside in the home as a living home in over two decades. The French had several frightening supernatural encounters while living in the McRaven home. In one instance, he was chased by a former resident of Mr. Murray not long after. French was pushed to the ground by an unseen force. He fell down face first, broke his glasses and his nose, and required stitches on his forehead. Another time, a drawer mysteriously slammed on French's hand with such force that it broke both of his thumbs. 
the last instance persuaded him to move from the McRaven home. Um, there was a photo taken in one of the McRaven home bedrooms, and there is a transparent lady on the right-hand side where there is a... It's a picture of dolls. Hmm. There's three dolls in the room, but there's only two dolls in the room. You can clearly, if you look at the third picture, you'd have to look it up. It's called The website is called onlyinyourstate.com. Um, there's a, a third person that is completely transparent, and you can see a, a, a vase behind her. And it's just like, whoa, dude. <laughs> It's, it's a wild one. Wow. It, it, that's a wild one. So, French's supernatural encounters were only the beginning. In the years that followed, the Vicksburg home became a site of a number of unexplainable mysteries. Such as doors slamming, lights flickering on and off, alarm clocks going off in the middle of the night, or not at all. And of course, sightings of former occupants. The dominoes... There was there's a set of dominoes in the house. Basically, um, they 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 were supposedly left by the original builder of the home, the first owner of the home, um, and they're so they're extremely ancient dominoes. And apparently, Mister French woke up one morning to them all stacked up on a teacup when he's the only one at at the house. So he left them went to get a camera, and when he came back, they were all just scattered all over the place. But every single one of them was face down, but one, which was the number six in a cup across the room. That's creepy. That's creepy. That's just creepy. Oh, God, that is creepy. One of the one of the rooms, one of the home's most haunted rooms is the upstairs bedroom in which Mary Elizabeth passed away. Witnesses have reported the lights in the room turning on and off by themselves, as well as an impression of a body suddenly appearing on the bed. For quite some time, Mary Elizabeth's wedding shawl was on display in the home. Several visitors have claimed to feel a presence of putting the shawl from of pulling the shawl from their hands. Another hot spot for paranormal activity is Mr. Glass's old room. In one instance, a tour a tour guide was in the room when a chair suddenly slammed to the ground of its own accord. Uh, Mr. Bob has been seen on several occasions, even appearing in the middle of a tour at one point. Since the McRaven played such an important role in the Civil War, several spirits are believed to be fallen soldiers that are there. There's even one of a teenage girl that has been spotted by several witnesses. She is commonly spotted in one of the bedrooms as well as on a staircase. The McRaven's, the McRaven's home paranormal activity has been documented by A&E, the Travel Channel, and the 48-Hour Channel. And there's even EVPs recorded by investigators that will downright chill you to the bone. And you can even rent this home to stay a night. Or... Rent it to stay a weekend. Oh my god. No thank you. I, I don't think I want to do that. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I don't think I want to go spend a night here, let alone a week. A yeah. week. Who would go spend a week there? Oh my lord, that would be... I guess thrill seekers and non-believers, I guess. 
mean, maybe somebody too who just wanted a good thrill, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I was talking about by unbelievers or, or yeah. thrill seekers. I can see paranormal teams maybe taking that week to actually see if they could catch anything. But. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I could also see a couple of podcasters going over there and checking it out maybe, but not I. Mm-mm, no. <laughs> I mean, there's some things that I would like to do, like... um uh, there's an asylum that I would love to go see. I can't remember the name of it. Um, Waverly Hills. Oh, I would that, lo- yeah. I would love to go see Waverly Hills, but that's one of those things of, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I've always been kind of keen to go see the Stanley Hotel. That would be fun. Just because I love... I love The Shining, and then I love the movie they made after it, Doctor Sleep. But I would love to see the actual hotel itself. I haven't got to see Doctor Sleep yet. Oh, Doctor Sleep no. is good. I was told it was very good, and I'm so ashamed of myself that I haven't seen it because it's got Ewan McGregor in it. Well, and I'll tell you, it's kind of like continuing on after uh, The Shining. Yeah, do- doesn't he play it. like uh, uh, Jack Nicholson's son or whatever? I think so, yeah. I have to watch Just like again. an adult version? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Um, but, you know who played the son in the original Shining, right? Mm-hmm. Heath Ledger. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in The Dark Knight, I know this is so not on topic, but in The Dark Knight, when he's talking about, as the Joker, you know, my father was a drinker. He was talking about The Shining. He was giving a nod to The Shining. I, I kind of figured he was because I, I, I remember him being a being the son. So yeah, yeah. Just just little movie trivia for you. Okay, what's your second story, Constance? Mine is one called. Uh, this is a story of Bubba the Ghost from the South Carolina State Museum. Now, South Carolina... Hold up, hold up, hold up. Repeat what? that name? Bubba the Ghost? Yep, his name is Bubba the Ghost. I thought I heard that right, but I didn't want to. This is why I chose it. This is why I chose it. Okay, so, South, so South Carolina's economy had been powered by textiles since the 18th century. So it's no surprise that the State Museum's large, largest artifact is the Columbia Mills building that houses the museum itself. And this was built between 1893 and 1894. The Columbia Mills opened as the first totally electric powered mill in the world. It remains running until it closed in 1981. And, and the building was donated to the state. After the mill's conversion to a museum, a ghost nicknamed Bubba was reported on the third floor. Witness has seen a man in overalls and boots wondering about the exhibits. Two visitors walking towards an elevator saw a man climb on just ahead of them. When they hurried to the elevator before the doors closed, they discovered 
when the doors opened again, but a few seconds later, the elevator was empty. But I did a little bit more research on Bubba. Apparently, he worked in this mill, and he was heading towards the old-style elevator that would come down. And it, it would come down in a different way than we see normal elevators today. Well, he had actually stood in the area where the elevator comes down, and it crushed him to death. So, oh, that's a bad way to go. So, um, yeah, he, yeah, the elevator only goes up and down, but he got in underneath the little shaft area and it crushed him. So, um, they've been seeing this textile worker, they nicknamed Bubba, and he's relatively harmless, but they said that he likes looking at the exhibits and he likes just kind of showing himself every now and then. Yeah, just kind of being there. Yeah. I feel that. I feel like kind of just being around sometimes. Well, and when I read that one, I was like, you know, that that kind of maybe makes me think that he's not exactly sure where he's at or why his work is so different now, why there's all these different yeah. things. I would stick too so yeah i could understand that i could definitely understand how that would be confusing oh yeah imagine being at work one day and then all of a sudden it's like huh where did all this fancy stuff come from it's like why oh it's like and especially like where the elevator that they have in the museum is built where the old elevator was so people yeah. see him in the elevators 90 percent of the time or at least they see him disappear into the elevator the doors will open and shut and then when they go to climb in he's nowhere near so yeah that's that i could i could see that but where it's just kind of like boom i'm here and there's been like little instance where I was reading too, where he there's like this old style car exhibit that uh, he likes to stand near, and I think it's like an old style Hirsch. And a lot of the workers say at night they would be patrolling the place, looking uh, kind of like just patrolling it, and they would just see him sitting in front of the hearse. And then when they turn and look again, he'd be gone. So, I mean, he, yeah. he's in different locations of the museum. Yeah, I, I, I could see that where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I could, I, that, that kind of makes a lot of sense to me. Imagine how confused he must be. It's like where who where am I at? You know, I was at work yesterday, and now you know everything looks so different. Or maybe he even watched them build it differently and, and and add all the new stuff in. Maybe who knows? Maybe he just is excited about how progress has gone from the dead. I don't know. I mean, I I, I can see that. I mean, 
that was the thing when I read the story. I go, I, I, I think that this poor guy maybe even think he is probably not dead. I mean, if you get crushed by an elevator, that's a pretty quick death. So maybe he just thinks he's not dead. He's still yeah. alive and he's walking around. Yeah, I could see that. Um, let's see here. I was going to do one about a ghost town, but I decided to do one. This one isn't South Carolina, but it is an adjoining. It is right across the border. So it's a okay. massive, uh, it's a massive part of South Carolina as well, because supposedly the entity I'm about to talk to will basically do night raids into South Carolina quite often. This is the town. The town of Yazoo is quaint and charming, but it's also home to a spine-tingling legend. According to the legend, there's an evil witch who lived near the banks of the Yazoo River, which borders... Guess where? South Carolina. She lured fishermen to her hut, then tortured and killed them. And when the local sheriff came looking for the missing men, he found their bodies in the witch's shed. Supposedly, she fled, running into the swamp to escape. By the time the sheriff and his deputies caught up with her, the witch was already caught in quicksand. As she slowly sank into the muck, the witch swore that she would come back for revenge. She put a curse on the town of Yazoo and the bordering river. And she said that she'd be back in 20 years to burn the town down. The townspeople buried the witch in Glenwood Cemetery in the town of Yazoo. They were fairly certain that the witch couldn't possibly come back from the dead, so they made a careful note of the date of her death, May 25, 1884, which is an extremely rare thing at this point in rural the South at this point because if you look through the south and a lot of graveyards there's not a whole lot of old old 1800s tombstones unless they were extremely rich extremely you know uh soldiers or government officials or something like that there's not just your average everyday farmer would just get buried this is when he this is when we think he died or this is how he died and that was the end of it that's, that's one of the really downsides of the South at that period. Well, they made a careful date, careful note of the date of her death. A chain was placed around the witch's gravestone to keep her spirit trapped inside, supposedly. But on May 25th, 1904, exactly 20 years to the day of the witch's death, the town of Yazoo cat caught fire. The fire spread quickly spread and destroyed 200 homes and even more businesses. Witnesses of the fire said that it had a strange quality with the flames jumping, twisting, and leaping in a way that they'd never seen fire before. Many believe that the flames were dancing by command of the Dark Witch. After the flames were extinguished, the townspeople went to the witch's gravesite. The chain around the grave was broken and missing. The local author, Willie Morris, memorialized the Witch of Yazoo in his novel, Good Old, Good Old Boy and the Witch of Yazoo. 
Today, you can tour the cemetery where the witch is supposedly buried. Mr. Morris is also buried there in the plot next to, and you can visit his grave as well. That is wild. Hmm. I, I thought you might enjoy that story because of just how wild it is. It is. I... Wow. Yeah, right? I found that, and I'm like, okay, so... My first issue with this story, personally, and it's still an issue that I have, is that the witch was caught in quicksand. Quicksand does not behave the way it does in the movies. At all. It is very, very slow, and it is a very terrible, terrible way to die. Most of the 99.99999% of the time, if you die by quicksand, it is breathing the sand into, the, into your lungs. So drowning in sand, not the quicksand. So, if this witch was caught in quicksand, then she would have had days, maybe even sometimes, to live. Days. Um, the only time you are at actual general risk is if there is a thin layer of quicksand and a large, and I mean a rarely large, air pocket underneath, which is all quicksand is. It's just sand with air pockets mixed in it. That's all it is. Now, I have another theory to that that I thought of this morning on my way home from church. What if it wasn't quicksand that she stepped into? Let's just say that this part of the story is in fact 100% true and she went under the earth for somehow, some way. What if it was peat bog mud? Because there is a lot of peat bog in South Carolina and Mississippi. What did you what did you say, Constance? Yeah, it sounds more more common. Um, I would like I I totally understand. Wow, yeah, yeah. If it was peat bog mud, and she got into it and sank, that mud is dense. It's gonna sink. It's gonna lap over, but it's mixed. Peat bog mud is mixed with the water, so the water travels the least path of resistance. So it's going to fill that container, and as it does, it's going to push you down. Now, if you take a shovel, hit peat bog mud with it, and you can pull it out just easy. Simple is pretty well pleased. Any mud, really, you can dig it out. Quicksand is a lot harder to dig out because as you stick a shovel in it, you'll hear, and it'll spit sand into the air because of the pockets. You're popping the pocket. The air has to go somewhere. So the air is pushing up. So, either you're telling me that she actually sank in quicksand, sank for days on end, they let her sink for days on end, instead of just pulling her out and arresting her, and then they waited till she was down there and dug her up. Yeah, I don't... That sounds way too inconsistent for reality. Now, if you tell me she was in a peat bog... Or a swamp, a blackwater swamp, or something like that. Yeah, I'll believe that because it is really easy to sink. I have sunk up to my waist in 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 mud water hunting. Uh, 
So it in in mud in general, yeah, that's possible. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't see. See, and I, I mean, unless they're like like a death sentence by like, oh, she's already kind of like in quicksand. We're just gonna wait for she dies. But then why would they? I don't know. It, it just. Uh, I mean, my personal. I'd probably never make it as town sheriff at that point because at that point I would have just oh let's say she the ten, the sheriff got there about the time that she's waist deep I just pull my pistol shoot her and drag her out if she killed people in the story like they're gonna hang her anyhow so who cares uh, yeah exactly I mean this I, I is <laughs> this is the rural South in the eighteen hundreds yeah shooting somebody as town as town sheriff and deputies ain't going to be that big a deal. Especially if they have the bodies. Well, and I just don't find it, like, plausible at all because of the fact that, you know, you're just going to leave somebody in quicksand and just, like, let, 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 let them get killed that way. I mean, I'm sorry. that That's, mm -mm, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's that's my only problem with this story. Other than that, everything else checks out. So, I mean, I, I personally think that maybe they just shot her in the back or something, which is something that was never supposed to be done. That's a very dishonorable thing, especially as sheriff and his deputies. I think they just shot her in the back and said, oh, yeah, it was quicksand. Because people at that time had no idea how quicksand works. Mm-mm. I honestly think that's how it could have gone too. I mean, plus two. I, it's like, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just me, but if somebody goes all the way into quicksand and perishes, why the heck would you take time to try to dig them up again out of their predicament and then bury them somewhere? I mean, if you were already going to heinously hang them and do other things to them, why take the time to bury them? among the other you know i agree i completely agree it's i'm just gonna say that it was a peat bog or it was swamp mud that's what i'm personally going to say is that that would make more sense to me that or they just shot her in the back i i want to say they shot her because i mean how I, I don't see them waiting for days for her to completely be like drowned by the quicksand. But, but something else yeah. that doesn't make sense to me is like, as as town sheriff, why not just say, oh yeah, she murdered like, I don't know, 10 men, had their bodies in the shed, so I just shot her in the back. Like, that that's more acceptable to me than, oh yeah, I let her drown in quicksand for days on end because, well, she killed some people. That That's just me personally. No, see, I totally agree with you. I mean... I think that's just my huge, my huge thing with this story. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you guys say that instead of just, you know, ending her right then and there, you guys just let her suffer by just like slowly going further and further into the quicksand and then having to take the exhausting task of digging her back digging out. Digging her out, yeah. So. <laughs> I personally would rather be known as the, sh oh yeah, that's the sheriff that shot that girl in the back because she murdered like 10 men. Rather than the sheriff, the sheriff that everybody walks by and it's like, 
isn't that the guy that waited for someone to drown after killing ten men and then dug them out to bury them? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just me. Well, my other my, my other big thing about this is, if they were going to just end up hanging her at some point, why didn't they pull her out of the quicksand if she was, like, waist-deep at some point? Then go or, hang or, her. Or better yet, uh, an even crueler way to do would be to put the noose around her neck, tie it to a tree, and wait for her to sink. See? I mean, there. I mean, yes, that would have been the crueler way, but I, I mean, that, that that's just where my mind goes to it's like why didn't you guys just take her out of the quicksand and just go hang her because she, she couldn't have gone and ran from you guys she was stuck yeah she was stuck or or even worse wrap the noose around her neck and have a horse pull her out she's still hanging she's still gonna die but you just solved you just killed two birds with one stone one literally and then dug her and then pulled her out there you go. And There's like I, 50 I different ways that we... But then again, I also have to say that we, me and you were just sitting in the comfort of our home, of our modern homes, thinking about the way this might have gone down. Like, oh yeah, I could have done that. For all we know, three minutes ago, before she hauled Tater back there and got caught there, she could have fired shots at the sheriff or cut him or whatever. Adrenaline could be pumping. These are things that happen. So he might not have been thinking 100% clearly because it's like, boom, once adrenaline starts running, it's a mess. Exactly. I mean, think, think of it like, like my my uncle used to be a cop and he would tell me like these horrifying stories before he retired about how he would be chasing these criminals through streets and there'd be fired shots there'd be like times he would have to dodge behind cars or or even try to risk his own life because they were doing they were like shooting at him and stuff and he was like i'll tell you now as a cop he's like there's one thing i could tell you he says you do not have common sense when you're being shot at with a real bullet and it almost hits you the first thing you think is Oh my God, what about my wife? What about my kids? What about, you know, he, he's like, yeah. think about your life and who may miss you. He says, you don't think about, oh, I need to grab my gun and shoot back. So, yeah. I mean. Uh, adrenaline is a very, very finicky, weird thing sometimes. It, it, adrenaline really can be. Oh yeah, do you have another story, Constance? Or I really don't. I couldn't find any that um, would give me enough information. So okay, I'm trying to get my next story pulled up and one back up. <laughs> Just because, well, a backup is always nice. <laughs> Oh, do, 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 do. This is so it's not funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I got a really, really interesting one. This one, I the first thing that came to my mind is a mermaid or a siren. Ooh, it is called nice. the singing 
the singing river of Pascagoula. The Pascagoula River is technically farther down or farther on, but it still borders, it still runs through South Carolina. Um, there are two towns of Pascagoula. They are not spelled the same way. There's Pascagoula, Mississippi, and Pascagoula, South Carolina. They're spelled differently. This one is the one in... The, the, the entire river runs through both Pascagoulas. So, the Pascagoula River is the centerpiece of the largest unimpeded river system in the 48 states. It is legendary in the south as it's called the Singing River. For hundreds of years, visitors and residents alike have described mysterious a mysterious humming sound that rises from the waters of the river. Many theories are abounding, but to date, no one's ever been able to explain the phenomenon. Does the river really sing? The answer depends on who you ask. Skeptics say the tale is nothing but a bunch of folklore, but those who know the Pascagoula River best say there is truth behind the southern stories. The water formed itself into a towering column of foaming waves, on the top of which stood a mermaid, as the Indians and a missionary looked on. The mermaid began to sing, Come to me, come to me, children of the sea. Neither bell, book, nor cross shall win ye from your queen. The Indians listened to this growing ecstasy, and, the one, and one of them plunged into the river to rise no more. The rest, men, women, and children, followed in quick succession, moved as if it were with the same irresistible impulse. When the last of the race disappeared, a wild laugh was heard from the river. That is a... from a book. The man's oh. name... That, that, the man's name is Charles E. Shidsey. I think is how that's pronounced. He lived in Pascagoula during the late 19th century and spent his lifetime trying to unravel the song of the river. In 1890, he penned an article for Popular Science Monthly in which he told of his first experience with the singing river. From out of the waters of the river, apparently some 40 feet from its shelving bank, rose a roaming, murmuring sound which gradually increased in strength and volume until it reached its height when it slowly descended and was no more. Chitsi reduced this sound of the river into a music note as a long F, so it can be heard as a long F chord on a piano. He even sent this off to famous musicians and different people who agreed that, yes, this long F chord that you sent me can and is in fact used in many, many, many songs. Most of which this long F is heard as in songs about that usually mess with people's emotions. So it's always an emotional song when the long F note is used in a certain manner. And this certain manner, Chitsi was hearing on the river of Pascagoula. In 1890, 
the writer suggested, based on his observations from other locations by Charles Darwin, that the sound might be caused by a fish. Darwin noted in The Descent of Man, during his journey, he, he had heard fish produce various noises, some of which are described as being musical. Chitsey's article seemed to have been the origin of the uns, unsubstantiated claim that fish are reasonable are responsible for the singing of the Pascagoula River. The theory has never been proved, and the source of the singing is still a mystery. Whatever the origin of the strange music, the Pascagoula River has been singing for a very long time. French settlers who arrived on the Mississippi Gulf Coast heard the river as early as 1699. That's a long time ago. It is. That's like way, way back there. Governor Perrier of French Louisiana was accompanied by some Pascagoula Indians when he heard the river sing in 1727. Quote, While among the Pascagoula people, or bread eaters as they were called, he was invited to go to the mouth of the river of that name to listen to the mysterious music which floats on the waters, particularly on a calm, moonlit night, and which to this day excites the wonder of so many visitors. It seems the issue from the caverns or grottoes in the bed of the river and sometimes ascends from the water under the very keel of the boat which contains the inquisitive traveler, who whose ever ear it strikes as the distant concert of a thousand Eloian harps. The historian Charles Guerriere, who penned the above account of Governor Perrier's experience, also recorded a Mississippi legend that sounds that the sounds originate from the mouths of ghosts drowned in the river. Whoa. As told by Guerriere, the story holds that a peaceful and gentle tribe once lived along the the banks of the Pascagoula, worshippers of an idol carved in the form of a half-fish, half-woman. They sang and played strange instruments nightly as part of their ceremonies. At the time of the Hernando de Soto expedition in 1539 through 1540, however, a Catholic missionary arrived in the village. Friendly relations were established with the visitor, but the mermaid honored by the idol was jealous over her followers. Quote, One night, when the moon at her zenith poured on heaven and earth with more profusion than usual, a flood of light, angelic at the solemn hour of twelve, when all in nature was repose and silent, there came on a sudden a rushing of a surface of the river as if the still air had been flapped into a whirlwind by maynards of invisible winds steeping ever onward. The other Indian tribes of the neighborhood, wrote Gayard, have always thought that it was their musical brethren who still keep up their revels in the bottom of the river at the palace of the mermaid. A somewhat different version of the legend describes how the inhabitants of a village on the site of today's Pascagoula city walked singing into the river rather than allowing themselves to lose their freedom to enter to either the Spanish or a neighboring tribe. 
Attempts to record the sounds of the Singing River began in 1925 on August 25th of that year. The Biloxi Daily Herald reported that three record companies were planning to distribute singing of the Pascagoula. Quote, efforts were made by one of the companies to obtain exclusive rights of the reproduction of the phenomenon, but this plan was abandoned when two other companies appeared on the scene. The work of the recording of the music will be carried out under the guidance of Hermes Gauter, well-known Pascagoula sportsman. End quote. The plan called for the placement of a recording equipment at on a point all along the river, as well as aboard a yacht, Flapper Getty. Whether the company succeeded in their effort to record the river, nobody knows. Does the Pascagoula still sing its song? Ernest Herndon, the foremost expert on the river and the author of Paddling the Pascagoula and Canoeing Mississippi, admits he was a skeptic after spending hundreds of hours on the Pascagoula and hearing nothing more than mosquitoes. He was stunned when the river shared its song with him. Herndon tells his story in, the ph in a phenomenal short documentary on the Pascagoula River. You can watch on the you can watch on the upper right of a page that's called exploresouthernhistory.com. The Pascagoula River is a remarkable romantical mystery with its natural resources and one of America's last great unspoiled rivers beautiful mysterious and vast it's a southern treasure can you hear the pascagoula river singing and that's the pascagoula river oh my god that's that is really interesting wow i thought you would think so ma'am well i'm kind of into sirens not so much like mermaids but i'm more into sirens but yeah oh my god oh yeah that's one of those whoa dude <laughs> kind of things it, and it's just like wow yeah because it it reminds me too much of sirens because that's how they would lure uh boats to go crash and then they would drag the crewmates to the very depths of the ocean. So it's like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it is just absolutely wild at the fact of this is this is Native American folklore, supposedly at this point of, of a mermaid. So that is that is wild to me because I did not think there were such things. Thing as Native American folklore of uh, a mermaid. I didn't I think that was a heard, thing. And I'm married to a Native American. I've never heard any of his family members talk about a mermaid at all or anything like that. So this is like real interesting. Right? You should ask your husband about that. Yeah, I should. I, I might say, you know, is there any like like folklore any, like, creatures, yeah about like mermaids in your and in, in your history of <laughs> and then again that might be a, a southern native american thing we don't know maybe i i don't know if the pascagoula people are still around or not that's that's an interesting question that i do not have an answer for 
Let's Google box that one. We, we should. <laughs> Funny thing is, while you're talking about that, I actually found a really awesome, uh, I guess in the town of Charleston, they have um, different ghost stories and locations that are like really haunted. Okay. There's the, like one though. That, there's one though that caught my eye because I'm like, what the heck? Okay. Right. So it's called the story of the first, uh, the story of Americans' first convicted female serial killer. Okay. So Laverna Fisher and her husband John ran a motel of sorts north of Charleston over 200 years ago. This weary that weary travelers would stop at for the night. Unfortunately, they would never continue their journey. Laverna would offer them a cup of tea that she had poisoned just enough to make the guests extremely drowsy. When the night fell and the victim was fast asleep, John would pull a lever that opened a trap door below the bed, sending both it and the innocent soul tumbling down into an abyss below the house. One traveler by the name of John Peoples managed to escape. He didn't care for tea, so he poured it down the sink when Laverno wasn't looking to spare her feelings. Since he wasn't poisoned, he didn't get tired enough to lay in bed before it fell. Seeing it occur, he ran out of the house all the way to the police station to report his sightings. Upon investigation, police eventually found all the bodies of the missing people buried beneath the home and arrested the couple. They were both hanged in the old jail, pictured above. Locals say you could see their apparitions haunting the building to this day. Yeah, I just found that interesting. Oh, my God. I I had told Constance, I, I apologize, I lied. Um... I told Constance at the beginning of this episode, this will be the first creepy, strange states episode that would not have Bigfoot in it. Because I couldn't find a South Carolina Bigfoot. You found one. <sighs> yes. <laughs> I, I have never been so unenthusiastic to report about Bigfoot in my life. <laughs> well, uh, too bad Chris. This is, an, this is an article that I found. Okay. This article... This article starts off, yes, it is true, police in Greenville, South Carolina have issued an official public safety warning after a Bigfoot sighting was reported on the night of August 4th, 2021. McDowell County, North Carolina, about 90 miles across the border between the states, the story was quickly picked up by the media in both states and then nationally. <sighs> NBC affiliate WYFF in McDowell County reported that the Bigfoot investigation group called 911 
had a team of seven people out in the woods the night of 8-4-21. And around 11 p.m., the light from their glow sticks showed a large bipedal animal covered in hair. At that point, the group spokesperson, John Burr, says he sprang into action, pulling a 12-gauge shotgun from behind his coat and firing at the bipedal animal, covered in hair. It took one step into the wood, and then I took off running toward where it had went into the woods, end quote. Burner was close enough to see its face. Quote, I was able to see the detail of the creature's, the creature like the face. The hair was matty and stringy. The eyes were further apart than a human's, end quote, but had no chance of catching the creature because it was tall enough to apparently break off a tree branch nine feet above it, above the ground, which was used, supposedly by, said by Burner, to throw 30 yards and then stepped away 30 more yards in six steps. That was some glutus maximus. Burner posted details of the sighting on the Bigfoot 911 Facebook page, and the story was picked up by another North Carolina media outlet, which passed it over the border to the Charlotte Observer and the South Carolina media, where the word eventually reached the police department in Greenville, South Carolina. On Tuesday morning, the department issued the following warning on social media. Quote, if you see Bigfoot, please do not shoot at him slash her, as you will most likely be wounding a fun-loving and well-intentioned person sweating in a gorilla costume, end quote. Before pushing their tongues so firmly into their cheeks, the Greenville police might want to check the Bigfoot Field Researcher Organization, or BFRO, which reports 52 sightings in South Carolina that day. Maybe they should consider a wall, since North Carolina has had 96 sightings, including two in McDowell County, not counting the most recent one on that day alone. Bigfoot sighting, whether a hoax or a joke, it's hard to tell. Fur, footprints, photos, the warning from the police not to shoot anything big and hairy is greatly appreciated by big and hairy men walking home from the neighborhood pool party. The national media will be waiting for some videos while a smaller group of Bigfoot fans will be happy with one shot that says Glutamus Maximus Flexius. I just, uh, the sad part is that was actual that was actually decent Latin that they used. Oh god. Gluteus Maximus Flexicus. That was actually slightly impressive. But still, still, this man said that, oh yeah, I came face to face with it. First off, you're going to smell that. And then I pulled pulled out my gun. I finally got my story. I finally got my story. I keep telling Chris, I'm just, I'm surprised more cryptid encounters or, or ghost encounters don't end up with, and then I pulled out my gun. And this one did. This man said, oh, that's big, shotgun. I, I need to meet this man. Oh my god. Because I am all for the preservation of Bigfoot, but if he scares me, I am not going to say I'm not going to pull a gun. That's all I got to say on that. Oh man, exactly. I'd be doing the same thing. Oh my god. I, I don't, I'm not going to hate on this group for running out there in the middle of the woods 
let alone at least they're armed. That's my thought. Uh, the downside is, what if that was Cousin Bubba? What if that was Cousin Bubba standing there? He was probably just looking like, Are y'all lost? And you done shot this man in the face. Come on. Come on, maybe the man was just hungry and saw you guys have food. Uh, right, right. I mean, oh, that that was a good one. That was actually a really good sighting. Um, wow, they actually had to put that on there. They put that on their Facebook page, man. That's sad. Oh man. Oh. I don't know if the police were just trying to joke around and mess around or what the deal was, but still, you put that on your Facebook account, your public Facebook account as a government of entity. Is that even allowed? I, I mean, like, I, I mean, I'm sure there's nothing. I'm sure there's nothing that says you can't talk about Bigfoot. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't see it. Most of the time, though, if they... Oh, wow. See, this, this is thing that's dumping me. It's like, I, I totally understand that. It's like, well... What... Like, how do they not get in trouble for putting that on a public site? But at I, the same time, I can understand that them can't... That they can because it's not exactly, like, a justifiable... Yeah, yeah. You know... I mean, they could just pawn that off as, oh, yeah, we were just making a public service announcement so people wouldn't get freaked out or whatever. Who knows? Honestly, flat out, who knows? I don't because I'm not a part of that police department and I'm not affiliated with them, so I got no idea. Yeah, I don't know either. I, mm, I don't know. Um... I mean, some of the urban legends you get from South Carolina and Mississippi are just wild. They're just absolutely bonkers, man. They truly are. I mean, there's some that I've heard before been like, what? I mean, where else Where else are you going to get stories of a, of a witch drowning in quicksand? Yeah, that's true. Good old South Carolina. I hear banjos. It's actually my brother-in-law's ringtone. Oh, man. Yes. I, one of my friends had that ringtone for about two years, and that's all we ever had to listen to every single time it started going off. Oh, no. That's my brother-in-law's ringtone. He's from Alabama originally. I give him so much crap for that. Yeah, most of my rotten family is from uh, Alabama, so. Yeah, I mean, I just give my brother-in-law a lot of crap because, you know, Alabama, you know. Uh, but do you have any other stories you want to throw out uh. there? I, I found one about a lizard, man. You want to you wanna talk about that one? Yeah, let's talk about that one. Let's talk about the lizard man. 
uh, yeah, okay, this is what we're reduced to. We're talking about the Lizard Man. Okay. Described as being taller than the average man, the Lizard Man is said to be muscular, covered with dark hair, and scaly lizard-like skin on its face, hands, and feet. It is said that he has three fingers on each hand and three toes on each foot. The strength of this beast has been reported to be more than enough to rip a car to shreds. There has been quite a few reports and sightings of this creature around South Carolina. The first sighting was reported on June 29, 1988 by Christopher Davis. His report is as follows. I looked back and saw something running across the field toward me. It was about 25 yards away and I saw red eyes glowing. I ran into the car and locked it. The thing grabbed the door handle. I could see him from the neck down. Three big fingers, long black nails, and green rough skin. It was strong and very, very angry. It looked in my mirror and saw a blur of green. I looked in my mirror and saw a blur of green running. I could see his toes and that he jumped onto the roof of my car. I thought I heard a grunt and then I could see his fingers through the front windshield. Where they curled around on the roof, I sped up and swerved to shake the creature off, end quote. Other reports have been made as well, including the mauling of cars that have been documented as looking as though they have been chewed by something. Oh, wow. Okay. Where's Skateboard Swamp? Isn't that in, in South Carolina? I think so. I think, I think that's what that is, the Skateboard Swamp person or whatever. I, I think I've heard that story somewhere before. Pretty sure I have. Um, you got any 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 others you want to throw in there? Um, really can't find any that has given me enough information on it. Right. Right. There's like a couple in Charleston where there's like a orphanage with a bunch of children that was burnt alive inside. Oh, and, and to this day, you can hear crying. Uh, balls have been seen, like toys and balls have been seen, like just kicked down the hallways of this place. It's just like different sightings of a. Uh, children well that's disturbing yeah that'll disturb you to the core okay then here's another one that i have uh from south carolina according to gula legend there's a creature that rides the night looking for someone that they think are good candidates to steal energy from no this is not a vampire this is a creature that reportedly gains energy from a human's breath by riding their victims. It is said that they have no skin, which makes them red in appearance. In order for them to be less noticeable, they will steal a victim's skin and use it for as long as possible until it rots. When they find someone they wish to use, they will remove the skin... They then get on top of the victim's chest, hold the face close to the person, and inhale the person's energy from their breath. It is said that they will induce deep sleep in the human, and they may awake tired. If, however, they fight the boo-hag, 
the boohag will take their skin to use. If you ever wonder how to keep one out of your bed, put a broom beside the bed before you lie down for the night. The boohag will become so obsessed with counting the straws in the broom that they will not have time to take your energy before the sun comes up. I've heard that that last part somewhere before. I think it's in Appalach Appalachian folklore when they they put a broom above the door. So, uh, you know, I guess it's the same kind of creature, maybe. I don't know. Basically, they maybe. put a broom above the door to ward something off from coming in the home. I can't remember what that is, but I don't know. What do you think of that one? Uh, that, that sounds like a, a night hag kind of creature to me. It does. It kind of it kind of reminds me of kind of something we have around here in the uh, Americas. The ones that have um, around well around the like United States that have like a like the rake. Kind of reminds me yeah. of the rake a little. Where they can get into your house, but uh, there's been multiple reports of people who would wake up and see like this humanoid tall like creature sitting at the end of their bed yeah yeah um i've heard of stuff like that even though i know it's supposed to be like a major creepy pasta now but i'm like yeah but there's also been like i guess people call them confirmed reports of actually catching them on video and stuff like that so I've, I've also heard of like flesh gates is another name that I think I've heard for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're called flesh gates. Yeah. That's, that's a, like another name that I've heard for something like that. Um, I, I don't know anything about that personally. Um, I, I've heard all kinds of different stuff. Um, I'm trying to find the Appalachian reason. I found a bunch of other reasons for hanging a, having a broom around, hanging a broom above your door, things like that. Um, in modern Wicca, it's used as um, a way to sweep away evil intentions or to ward off evil intentions, that kind of thing. Yeah. I've I've heard that before. Um I think um even in Wiccan type of practices they burn um because my friend my friend I used to know used to practice Wiccan stuff. I don't know if she still does. I haven't talked to her in like years, but Every time she would feel a negative spirit in her house, she would burn incense, but it would either be dragon's blood because she said it's supposed to make the negative, the negativity of the spirit uncomfortable and want to leave. And then she said, then you end up burning a wood type smell to make it leave. I, I've I mean, always heard... I've always heard the sage thing, never the wood thing. Well, I don't know. That's just kind of what she was telling me. So I don't know. I was like, oh, okay. I, I, I don't know nothing about your. <laughs> yeah, I, mm, I don't know about that. 
I've, I've never heard of that. Me personally, I don't worry about, you know, evil things trying to, to get in because that's kind of not me as a man of strong faith. It's like, huh, good luck. That's not going to do you any good, bozo kind of thing. Yeah, see, that's, I've never believed that either, but I'm not, like, wanting to be like, oh, well, all right, well, you pra what you practice is wrong either. So, I mean, I've always just been kind of like, okay, you know, every time she told me stuff, I was like, okay, I, you know. Here's some interesting ones that are just some Appalachian Appalachian superstitions that are kind of interesting to me. Um, weather. Aching joints indicates the rain. When a bobwhite calls, it's praying for rain. Thick, tight shucks on the corn indicate bad weather. Killing a black snake and hanging it on the on a fence with its belly turned to the sun will bring rain before the next sunset. Never heard of that one. If it rains on a Monday, it will rain three days that week. I've never heard that one either. Huh. An owl hooting high on the mountains signals fair weather. An owl hooting in the lower lands signals foul weather. That I have heard of. I've been told that that is in fact true. Because that's just them migrating from the top of the mountain where the weather's going to be worst to, to a lower area. So it's not as bad where they oh. are. That I've heard before. There will be as many snows in a winter as there are fogs in October. Never heard that one before. That's interesting. Whoa. Okay, here's one. Here's some about marriage. If a girl sleeps in a strange bed and names each bedpost a boy's name, the post she looks to first upon waking up will na will name the boy she'll marry. I've never heard of that. I've what? never heard that one either. A girl will not marry if anyone sweeps under her feet. I've heard that one before. That's not true. That's just superstitions. Yeah, I've heard that one before as well. So. Yeah, that's just superstition. And I can tell everybody I've had stuff swept under my feet for years and I'm married. So, yeah, not true. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's two about dreams. A dream about the dead means you'll get a letter. If you sleep in a stranger's bed, whatever you dream will come true. Okay, never let's go find a stranger's bed. <laughs> Say that again. As I'm gonna go find a stranger's bed and see if that actually works. <laughs> you're welcome to try, but that I don't think your husband would like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just joking. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess I need to find somebody who's had a one-night stand and had a dream after that one-night stand to see if that one's true. Yeah, that, yeah. <sighs> I mean, that's the easiest way. That's sleeping in a stranger's bed. That is true. <sighs> okay. Here's some about death. 
because, you know, let's get dark and creepy here. If a cow moves after dark, someone close to you will die. If a bird flies against a window pane, uh, there will be a death in the family. If a dog howls before the full moon rises, someone will die. Always put your right sock on and shoe on your right sock and shoe on first. If you see a bluebird, that means someone has died. Look at the new moon over your left shoulder. Find a red ear of corn, someone close will die. If you find a pen, you must pick it up. Finding finding a penny lying heads up will and put it in your right shoe means good luck. I've never heard oh. of some of these. Well, the only one that kind of sounds similar is like instead of a cow and the culture that in my husband's culture if you see an owl or you hear an owl hooting it means that someone is about ready to pass away or they've already passed away yes um i cannot remember the name of the tribe but they're in uh wyoming they have a very similar belief of, of owls it's a certain owl but um they believe that if you see that certain owl, someone close to you is about to die. I don't know if it's a certain type of owl for this, but I think they said in general, if you hear owls or if owls are near your home and they start hooting where you see them, it means that somebody in your family has, like I said, passed or is about ready to. So... Mm. I'm, I'm trying to find something about this because I, I know I heard a video or something about the Appalachians um, that basically, I think it had to do with the some of their folklore about if um, you, you have a broom above your door, then they can't come in or something. It's some kind of a creature. Hmm. I... It, I'm trying to find it because it's going to drive me nuts. Oh, the Appalachians have a Bigfoot. Oh. Yeah, the Appalachians have Bigfoot. Well, yeah, of course. They also oh, have yeah. the Snallygaster. They have the Snallygaster? That's in the Appalachians? Really? Yeah. The Snallygaster is in the Appalachians. Appalachians. How is that actually supposed to be pronounced? I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Oh, they even have their yeah. own. They even have their own chupacabra. Oh my god! Yeah, they have their own chupacabra. That's crazy. The chupacabra thing to me is wild because that's like, really? You got your own chupacabra? Isn't that like Hispanic? <laughs> yeah, I think it's Puerto Rican. I think it is actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah, they have their own chupacabra. 
Um, they have a Bat Boy. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's... Okay. I, I'm not going to touch that. Apparently okay. there were uh, Cherokee little people. People who live anywhere or little people is what they're called. Um, I, I don't know about that one. The Flatwoods Monster or the Braxton County Monster is in there. The Grass Man, which is another Bigfoot, which is in Ohio. Mm-hmm. The Hillbilly Beast. What is that? What? Whoa. The hillbilly beast is another Bigfoot, but the oh, okay. the Cherokee say that it has it's a uh, a devil spirit. Oh, okay. But their their belief, the Cherokee believe that once it gets your scent, if you've wronged it in any way, once it gets your scent, it will follow you the rest of your life, no matter where you go. Oh wow. The Hopkinsville Goblins is was in the Appalachians. I knew that one. The Yahoo is another um, another Bigfoot type creature the Appalachians have. Like I said, I'm trying to find this one specific creature, and I can't remember the name of it. And it's going to drive me. It reminds that the, the little people you're talking about reminds me of a story that one of his cousins told me. They, I forget exactly what they're called, but they are like little tiny. They're, they're like little people, but what they do is they're known to lure children away from their homes. And what they'll do is they'll start calling out their, they'll learn their names or something. They'll start learning their names and then call out to them. And they say that it, that most tribes would keep their children close because the child could easily run away hearing their name and they would never be seen again. Yeah. I've, I've heard that before. I've heard that one before. I can't remember what they're called either, but... Yeah. I'm having just a dickens of a time trying to find this one. It's going to drive me nuts. I think I saw it on TikTok somewhere. Guy who lives in the Appalachian, Appalachians or something. Hmm. Never cut a baby's nail before they're a year old. Bite them off. If you cut them off, the baby will grow up to steal. I've never heard that one. I've never heard that one either. That's a new one for me. Rub an apple on a newborn's tongue, and when they grow, they'll have a sweet singing voice. What? Huh. Yeah, I've never heard that. To cure fits in a child, take one of their shirts, turn it inside out, and burn it? Okay. Never heard of that one. Never heard of that one either. To cure an illness, ride a donkey backwards and feed it some of your hair, then take 
than taken from the crown of your head. Hmm. If an unnamed baby gets sick, give it a name and it will get better. Don't turn a wheel backwards while greasing it or it'll bring bad luck. <laughs> Visit a loved one on the ninth day after their burial and you'll be able to speak with them one last time. Okay. That's interesting. If a cold chill runs down your spine, a rabbit just ran over your future grave. That's creepy, but... I've heard that one before. If a picture of someone falls by itself off the wall, it portends their death. My word. Carry a piece of coal in the right pocket to remove a curse or witchcraft. Once the coal has been crushed and turned to dust in the pocket, it has been removed and the dust is disposed of in in the crotch of a willow or in a river crawling westward. First I've heard of that. If a, if a man wipes his hands on a woman's apron, he will soon be compelled to fall in love with her. I've hmm. never heard that one, but that's kind of interesting. When fishing, always thank the fish you catch and keep, or your cabinets will be bare in the coming year or season. Oh, uh, I've heard that somewhere. Hmm. Dirty dishes and laughter make a warm home better than spotless dishes in a cold bed. Okay. If you ask a daddy long legs where someone you or something you've lost is, he'll point you to it with one of his legs. Whoa. I'll have to test that one. I know I'm going to have to test that one too. Since we live out in the country, we get a lot of them. If a woman keeps miscarrying her children or they die young, she should name her next son Adam and he will live and will and, and will as will any more thereafter. Never heard of that one either. Mm -mm, never heard of that one. Um, let's see. When someone dies, you should cover all the mirrors in the house. The story goes that the next person to look into a mirror after someone dies will be the next to follow. Okay, I've heard that one in many different... Leaving shoes on a table will bring death to the wearer. Same for having hats on a bed. Huh. I've never heard that one. I haven't either. 
That's an interesting one. Like I said, I'm trying to find this one, but I just cannot. And it's starting to drive me up the wall. It's in there, huh? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sh I'm pretty sure I saw it on like TikTok or something. Excuse me. I I just got no idea. When you stop but looking, that's when it'll turn up, huh? Do what? So it's always it's always that way. You stop looking, and all of a sudden, it just shows up. Yeah, something like that. Here I'm hoping, yeah. you know. Uh, let me turn the volume on my phone off and go on to TikTok and see if I can find it. Because it's going to absolutely drive me nuts. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just that way. Hold on just a second. Find something to talk about. You're being awfully quiet, ma'am. Uh, actually, I did. I'm. 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 I looked up my favorite crypt. My other favorite cryptid. Okay, so, go ahead. All right. So, don't know if you, anyone's ever heard of them, but my other favorite cryptid is called Owlman. And Owlman is given the name because it is a owl, a large owl-like humanoid entity, notably similar to the Mothman. It lives in Cornwall, England, and has been sighted several times. The first sighting took place in 1976 in the village of Munwall. The Owlman is sometimes seen at the English counterpart of the Mothman due to the similarities between Mothman and Owlman. Sightings... In the year of 1976, a paranormal researcher by the name of Tony Doc uh, Shills came forward claiming that he investigated a report of two young girls on a holiday in Minwall who saw a large winged creature hovering above the church tower on April 17, 1976. Some stories vary, but most are consistent when it comes to to what the girls dubbed the creature Owlman. Then on July 3rd, 14th, 14-year-old uh, Sally Chapman was camping with a friend, Barbara Perry, in woods near the church. According to her accounts, as she stood outside her tent, she heard a hissing sound and turned to see a figure that looked like an owl as big as a man with pointed ears and red eyes. The girls reported that the creature flew up into the air, revealing black pincher-like claws. Sightings of this figure continues to be reported on the following day, when it's described as a silvery gray, and on two accounts, on two occasions two years later, in June and August of 1978, all within the vicinity of the church. Because both of the 1970 sightings involved Doc Shields and 
and ascensions of fondness of hoaxes. Researcher Jonathan Downs acknowledges that shells could have invented the owl man. However, Downs claims to have invented a interviewed a young man who he calls Gavin, who encountered the owl man in 1989. Depending upon shells, Gavin and his girlfriend claimed to have seen a creature about five feet tall. The legs had ankle high ankles and the feet were large and black with two huge toes on the visible side. The creature was gray with brown and the eyes definitely glowed. In 1955, a female tourist from Chicago wrote the Western Morning News claiming to have seen a man bird with a grotesque face, a wide mouth, glowing eyes and pointed ears, as well as clawed wings. But yeah, this Owlman is very close to the Mothman. There's been many sightings in England of him. I think they even came out with a couple movies. Or... Yeah. But he's like one of my favorite cryptids. I, I honestly couldn't tell you because I 100% was, like, trying to listen, but <laughs> um, the good news is I found what I was looking for. <laughs> Ooh, what, what is it? Okay, so it is called a haint. Okay. It is a specific, it is South Carolina specific as well, which is kind wow. of awesome. Uh, the belief in haints originated from the Gula Geechee people, which are descendants of African slaves in the Carolina Low Countries and Barrier Islands in South Carolina. Haints are a malicious ghost, often seeking to steal or harm naughty children. Um, let's see. One of the... <clears throat> there is only one way to protect yourself from a haint, and that is to put a room above your door. So I finally found it. Hmm. That's what I was looking for was a haint. And there actually is a type of color in that originated in the Appalachians. Appalachians? Appalachians? That is called haint blue. And it's supposed to be a color created more modernly to you can paint your house to ward them off huh that's interesting yes I thought that was kind of interesting I I thought that was that was kind of finally I finally found it so it's like haha finally I was very excited to put it I'm glad I did, too, because it's kind of just like, wow, okay, finally. <laughs> Another belief that goes along with the, the haint thing is if you bury a, th uh, when you build a house or you move into a new house, one, never take an old broom to a new house, always snap it in half and burn the old broom, then, then buy or make a new broom. Um, 
that's supposed to be welcoming the same problems back to your home, that kind of thing. Uh, and then if you bury a broom in the threshold, under the threshold of your back and front door, no one can enter with ill intent. Huh. But, and believe it or not, this, this article expands a little bit better. Um, a haint is a type of ghost or evil spirit that originated in the beliefs and customs of the Gula Geechee people, which I went through that. Another area that the Gula Geechee people are in is all of Georgia and northern Florida. Uh, it's an alternative, it's a, basically a alternative spelling of haunt which mm -hmm. is historically used in African-American vernacular to refer to a ghost, or in the hoodoo belief, it's a witch-like creature seeking to chase victims to their death by exhaustion. Um, basically, haints can enter the home through only the doors, and in some descriptions, the haint is a form of an evil spirit that's also... It's a boo hag type of creature. So it's a night hag type creature almost. Uh, okay. They come into the bedroom at night to steal the energy of people while they sleep. Boo hags may sit on the chest of the victim or hover over them, draining their energy like a vampire and leaving them exhausted and unwell. Uh, haints come to Are steal they... naughty children, though. That reminds me a lot of Krumpus when you say that. Uh, yeah, kind of. Um... Another way to protect yourself, it's a kind of a trap for haints. It's called bottle trees. Uh, they catch the spirits and hold them inside until daylight, which destroys them. Some legends claim that a haint is a spirit traveling outside of its own skin and must be back inside the skin before sunrise. Blue bottles are preferred as, according to folklore, they are in love with the color blue. Um... Which is upsetting because they have a haint blue. Mm -hmm. uh, another way to distract them is putting newspaper articles that are 10 or more years old. They'll get caught up in reading it that the sun will come up and it'll, just, and it'll kill them. Um, glass bottles are preferred on the, the bottle tree. Um... What's another one? There's another one. Uh, of course, there's cleaning your, cleansing your house. Cleaning your bedroom for children is a really, really big one. This, this sounds like the living embodiment of the words of, if you don't do this, the boogeyman will get you. Just with a southern drawl. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that does sound like a, oh, my God. <laughs> that sounds like an absolutely cautionary tale that you know it, it would sound like something like every parent would tell their kids now if you don't go clean your room I'm gonna ha the closet monster's gonna come out and get you the night yeah the haints will come get you um, a lot of Appalachian folk will not talk about them because supposedly talking about them draws their attention And that almost reminds me too of um, I won't say his name over fame because apparently it does draw his attention too. But if you say a certain demonic name over a Ouija board, 
it it can cause a lot of trouble. Supposedly, yes, I, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there, heard that. Um, there's just a thousand and one different different things. Um, do you have anything else you want to throw in or add in here? Not really. I mean, really couldn't find anything else that really caught my eye that I we hadn't already talked about. But right, right. Okay, so I guess we'll go ahead and wrap up. Um, we have social media up the whizzaz right now. Uh, we got Facebook, the Burning Veil Podcast. We have an email, the Burning Veil Podcast at Gmail. Uh, we have a Twitter, which is at Veil Burning. Um, yeah. Uh, Facebook Messenger, our Facebook Messenger, unlike a lot of podcasts, is in fact open. Don't come at me crazy or sideways. I've had people do that already. I, I had somebody message me like a couple weeks ago and tell me that I I this podcast is the reason why somebody was burnt at the stake as a vampire like 200 years ago in France or some crazy crap. I, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. It's like, dude, you're out oh of it. God. Dude, you're out of it. I'm not dignifying this any further um we're on anchor spotify we have a youtube we usually use that a lot but i'm having some issues with youtube and their format they keep ripping videos down Uh, big sigh keep ripping my videos down which is ridiculous um i i don't know about that um constance tell tell everybody where you could be found well uh, as you guys know, um, like I said my, in the last podcast I was on here with, um, my major social media name is called Rotten Daughters, R-O-T-N. Don't put R-O-T-T-E-N. It's R-O-T-N. And you can find me on Facebook, which I will always release new horror stories that I write. Um and special uh, filming projects. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube. And if you want to go over there and help me grow my channel, I'd be very much appreciated. I release new stuff every two weeks on the channel. And I'm also now on Instagram. So Rotten Daughters. And uh, on TikTok as well, which, uh, guys... You guys don't want to miss out on my TikTok. I am actually going to start a a Night Surgeon Chronicles, um, which is a huge storyline coming to YouTube and TikTok. So you guys definitely want to look out for that. But um, yeah, that's where you guys can find me. Make sure that you... um, you want to come check it out there's a lot of good horror stuff on there oh and my podcast on anchor rotten daughters i just got done releasing the newest long story long horror story series called the dark bell part one so go give it a listen so you guys don't miss out on the rest of the story to come i know i now have so much tiktok to binge (laughs) sorry go ahead no, that's fine. But yeah, that's where uh, anyone can find me. But but yeah, definitely um, you guys um, 
come give my horror stories a listen. Um, like I said, as we're trying to grow the channel as well, so. Awesome. Yeah, go go give Constance some love. You may you may see her a little bit more till Crispix gets back. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? I know we missed an episode last week. Um, that was due to Chris having an emergency at work, and then me having an emergency at work, and just so much going on. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot going on there. So, I apologize for not having an episode last week, and I apologize for this one being late. But, it is what it is. Like I said, go give Constance some love. Reach out to us. Give us a like. Give us a rating. Leave a comment. Message us. Give us suggestions, ideas, thoughts, stuff like that. So, anything else you want to add before we go, Constance? Uh, nothing, nothing more. Just like I said, if you guys really want to... Um keep up with us definitely right now because um i'm finishing up my night surgeon series on my youtube channel part one and two is already on there working on part three but you guys definitely do not want to miss out on the night surgeon chronicles because that will give you a major story with vex lady and one of my best friends characters penelope so definitely don't want to miss out on that coming soon awesome all right Thank you for listening to another episode of the Burning Veil Podcast.